This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. All right. So Easter. Who is enjoying Easter? Yeah, it's a great time of year. I, I love Easter. There's lots of people away at the moment. Had, had people ringing me up all week saying, hey, we're taking the opportunity to go away. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a great time when we can t- make that bit of a break because we get an extra holiday either side of the weekend. And so, you know, I, I think that's good. But if we're not careful, it can be a little bit like Christmas where we lose the meaning and the understanding of what Easter's about. And it always makes... It always makes me laugh that in a society that is becoming more secular, the Christian holidays are becoming more important to them. Things like um, Easter and, and Christmas, even though they're losing the focus about it. And, and so I think it's up to us as believers to keep flying the flag of what Easter is really about. And so that's why things like our Good Friday service in the park is really important because it's an opportunity for, for um, people to hear who wouldn't normally hear. Like yesterday morning as I was sitting down there, this um, bloke walked up and he goes, oh, what's happening here this morning? Like the service was already going. And I said, Good Friday service. Oh, a church thing, is it? And I said, yep. And he went, like this, and basically spat at me and sat there and listened. And I thought, good on you, mate. (laughs) Just sit there and listen and let let it in, let it in, let it in. But he might never hear the gospel if if, if we don't do those things um, from time to time. And so it's a great opportunity. All right, if you get your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. I've entitled my message Saturday night. Saturday night. That's what I thought when I did it as well. Had that song ringing in my head. See, Easter's an interesting time because tradition tells us, and if you're in a traditional church or if you've been brought up in a traditional church, one of the things that you would have been taught over the years is that Good Friday is meant to be sad. Because Easter, Easter died, because Jesus died. And he was hung on a cross on Friday. And so the tradition is this. In actual fact, I've had arguments in our ministers fraternal over this because the first year I preached at, um, at our Easter service down in the park, they said it needs to be somber. I said, no way. If you want me to preach somber, because I don't do somber too well. And so if you want me to preach somber about Jesus Christ coming and dying for my sin, you will need to get someone else to do it because we are going to celebrate the fact that he went to the cross willingly to die for our sins so that we can have life and life to the full. And so I'm not one that thinks Easter should be somber when it comes to Good Friday, but I always find Easter Saturday an interesting day because what is it? Because we have Jesus' death on the Friday and we understand that. And then on the Sunday, we call it Resurrection Sunday. And everyone's excited about that day. But what is it about Saturday? It's almost like there's this lull in the middle of Easter where it's like, what do we do? What do we celebrate? What is it about this Saturday moment? And so this week, this week as I was just considering what I was going to preach on Saturday night, I was thinking, what is it that you want me to bring out And this is basically the whole crux to my message is this. Even though nothing might look like it's happening on the surface, underneath there's a whole world of stuff that's happening. And so Easter Saturday is just as important as Good Friday, the day Jesus died on the cross. Easter Saturday is just as important as Resurrection Sunday And I don't know whether you read our pieces in the um, free press this week, but I spoke about the fact 
that, you know, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this tomorrow, about the fact that the resurrection, the empty tomb, actually is the basis for our faith. Because without Resurrection Sunday, our faith lacks. Because without Resurrection Sunday, we serve a God that's dead and buried, that has no power over death. But because of Resurrection Sunday, we serve a God that is alive and well. Alive and well. Not only alive and well, and I know this scripture is used for the word of God, and Jesus is the word, but he's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. See, he's living and active in your life this day. But Easter Saturday, I've always found Easter Saturday is a strange day because what do we celebrate? What is it do we think about in that moment where it's like, you know, yep, Friday, we celebrate the fact that he bled, died, he was whipped for us, he hung on a cross and he died so we could have salvation. Saturday, I don't know, Sunday, we do the resurrection. Well, I want to tell you, there was a whole world of stuff that was happening on Saturday. Because this is what happened. What happened was the original sin, right back to the garden, when Adam and Eve um, sinned, when they disobeyed God, when they ate the forbidden fruit that they weren't meant to eat of, basically what they did was they forfeited all the authority that God had given them. And they gave over the keys to the devil. And so what happened is Easter Saturday, Jesus says, I'm going to descend to Hades and I'm going to get those keys back. See, on the surface, there was a whole world of nothing happened. In actual fact, let's just go back a little bit before we actually get to Easter Saturday, because if we look at Matthew chapter 26, I felt to start here, and this is, if you're taking notes, right, number one, good intentions. Because sometimes our life, when it comes to faith, is filled with good intentions. I'm sure that there's a number of people in this room that have committed sins already this year where you've committed to God with good intentions that you would never do that thing again. And so what happens is, if we're not careful, our faith is filled with good intentions. You know, I will not steal chocolate from the chocolate jar. I will not do that. I will not steal that cookie from the cookie jar. There's an art to stealing cookies from the cookie jar. You've got to take just the right amount and rearrange what's left in just the right way. So it looks like nothing's missing. There's an art to it. There's a skill to it. Sometimes our life is so filled with good intentions where it's like, because see, Peter was that disciple who was filled with good intentions. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 through to 35, it says, on the way Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. Isn't that encouraging? Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus or they're on the way and he says, you're you're all deserters. You're all going to desert us. You're not going to desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Now that is a statement of good intentions. If ever I've heard a statement of good intentions. I don't care, Jesus, if everyone else don't worry about Thomas. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about Bartholomew. Don't worry about all the other disciples. Even if everyone else falls away, I'll be there by your side. I'll stick there. I'll be there. Remember, I cut the servant's ear off in defense of you. I'm the one. You can count on me. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Um, that you have even known me. No, Peter insisted, 
Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Now, poor old Peter gets a bit of a hard rap when it comes to this. But we forget the fact that Jesus said they were all going to desert. And we also forget the fact that Jesus, um, that all the disciples vowed that they would stick with him. And even if they had to die with him, that they would be there. But I want to tell you, within hours, Jesus was there by himself. He was being watched. They were in eyesight of him, but they were denying that they knew him. So if you're taking notes, write number two. That crow, like crows. Crow is the type of animal that I just despise. Why do I despise crows? Because crows are the type of animal that will pick on the weak. Crows are the type of animal that will pick on the vulnerable. Crows the type of animal, and I heard a story once from a farmer, that they had to be careful when the sheep had the lambs because the crows would come and peck their eyes out and nip off their noses. And so they, they would just leave them in a maimed state. You know, that's crows. So if you barrack for the Adelaide crows, shame on you. <laughs> leave the dark side and come to the bright side, whatever that may be. So Matthew chapter 26, and we'll jump down to verse 69, says this. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you are one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I do not know what you're talking about, he said. Later, by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. He even swears an oath. This is how far he goes from a good intention to all of a sudden he's swearing an oath that he never knew Jesus. So again, Peter denied it, and this time with an oath. I don't even know this man, he said. A little later, some other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. I can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. Think about the fall here of Peter. He goes from, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Then he goes to denying. Then he goes to a point where he gets to the place where he's even bringing a curse down on himself if he's lying. I don't know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through his mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times at that, at, uh, that you even know me. He went away and weep, uh, weeping bitterly. Now you might say, well, Pastor Trevor, you're talking about Easter Saturday and about the fact that Jesus is taking back the keys of the the kingdom in this period of time when it looks like nothing's happening on, on the outside. But I want to tell you there's days in our life where we are in a really dark place. And here Peter is in a dark place. I mean, he's gone from being one of the three. Like we don't, we don't fully get and we don't fully understand the relationship Peter had with Jesus. Because in the group of disciples, there was 12 disciples, but there was the three Peter, James, and John, who were the closest to Jesus. It was like that, you know, that ripple effect? 
You had Peter, James and John in the centre of the circle and then the other disciples were a little bit further out. Well, they were the ones that were the closest to Jesus in those moments. So here's Peter goes from the inner sanctum of the relationship that was being built with Jesus within a period of a short time. He's denied him three times and then he goes out and the Bible says there that he went away and wept bitterly. I don't know about you, but whether you've ever had bitter weeping in your life. I mean sobs. I went through something in my life and I had sobs to the point where I couldn't breathe, had snot running out my nose and gathering on the floor. That's how much I wept. It was like a pool and it was actually a moment in the Holy Spirit where it was like he was doing some work in my life and he was putting his finger on some stuff. And I I want to tell you, it was just a moment and there was bitter weeping in that moment, bitter weeping of repenting over some things in my life. And then there was a, you know, then all of a sudden there was a release from that as the Spirit came and brought me back to the place, which is what Jesus did with Peter later on. And so here's Peter, he's in a dark place. On the surface, it looks like he's gone. It looks like on the surface, in actual fact, if Peter was in ministry today in a modern church, he would have been written off in that moment. He would never be in ministry again. You know, because not only has he denied, he's also sworn. And not only has he sworn, but he's brought a curse down on himself. And so there's this moment where it's like, you know, in Peter's life, I am sure there is this grief that is beyond comprehension. And so on the surface, it looks like the darkest place. And I believe that this was the darkest place that Peter had reached in his life. But you know what? Jesus was still there. Jesus was still there. Even in that dark situation, there was a work going on underneath. There was a work going on behind the scenes. There was a work going on that none of the disciples knew. None of the authorities knew. There was a work going on because what Jesus did was he descended into Hades to win back the keys to death and hell. If we can't get excited by that at Easter, I think there's a problem because that's what Saturday is all about. You know what? I have a new appreciation for Easter Saturday this year as God has been talking to me about the work that he did. This is what the Bible says, that he disarmed the power of the enemy. That he disarmed the power of the enemy. That thing that Adam and Eve... See, we get so focused on the whole Adam and Eve trip where it's like, oh, they let us down and if it wasn't for Adam and Eve... And I want to tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit down and have a coffee with Adam and Eve and say, you fools, say, how dare you? I would love gardening if it wasn't for weeds. Of gardening if it wasn't that I had to work and water and all that sort of stuff. But because of what you did, because you couldn't, because Adam and Eve, you couldn't follow one lousy commandment, we've got all this trouble. I'm going to enjoy that latte with them. Because see, there's that moment. There's that moment where it's like all of a sudden, you know, it was like when Adam and Eve messed up, the Bible tells us that what they did was they were so afraid of the holiness of God that they ran, that they hid. And for the first time in humanity, all of a sudden there was shame brought into the relationship with God. There was shame brought into the relationship with each other. And so there was this moment when they sinned that all of a sudden they realized that they'd messed up. But Jesus on Saturday put that right. Come on. Jesus on Saturday went and disarmed the power of the enemy. He defeated the power of the enemy. When I was growing up, when I was a little kid in church, 
I got this picture of the devil. I had a picture of the devil, and the picture of the devil was this. He was just someone who just had a trunk of a body. Why? Because Jesus disarmed him. Jesus defeated him. Come on. Bible talks about childlike faith. <laughs> I get goosebumps thinking about it. And so you know what it did for me as a kid growing up? I have never feared the devil because I know that I can run faster than a trunk. He can roll after me all he likes. And even as I get older and I get slower and I walk with a little bit more of a sore knee gait, you know what? I still think I can outrun the devil because he's defeated and he's disarmed. Yet we have these conversations. The devil gave me such a hard time this week. We have these conversations. Oh, I feel like the devil's defeated me. He can't even hold a sword anymore. Why? Because he's disarmed. I hope tonight your picture of the devil now remains this trunk of a body. I've never been afraid of the devil. And I want to tell you, there's because some people say you've got to be careful how you talk about the devil, and you know what? You do, because there will be a challenge this week. Well, he will go, come on. You want to bring it to me? You bring it to me. A number of years ago, as a leadership here in the church, we identified that there were some spirits hanging over our community that we didn't like, and so we challenged those spirits. And I want to tell you, all hell broke loose in the next six to eight months. It was the worst six to eight months of my ministry when it came to challenge from the devil. But you know what? This is what the Bible says. He says, resist the devil and he will... <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. I actually say it this way. Resist the devil and he'll roll away. <laughs> Serious, church. Resist the devil, because I'll say it in more of our modern language. Resist the devil and he will run away. He will flee from you. You know why? Because he understands that a Christian, a born-again Christian, who's standing in the authority of Jesus Christ, a blood-brought, born-again Christian who stands in the authority of Jesus Christ, he knows he cannot defeat that person. And so he will use schemes. The Bible says, be aware of the schemes of the enemy. And so another word for schemes is tricks. And so he will trick us into believing that he is more powerful than what he is. And I don't know what it is about Australian Christians, but I've had a number of conversations even this year about the whole spiritual realm and how people get freaked out when we talk about um, demons and casting out demons and that sort of stuff. I, I want to tell you, it's with a word. It's with a word. It's, it's, it's all believers are spirit-filled, all believers who are spirit-filled and have the authority of God upon their life, they are able to cast out demons. In actual fact, the Bible tells us to go and do it. It doesn't even say we can do it. He says, just go and do it. It says to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to preach the gospel. See, Jesus won that Saturday period. On the surface, nothing was happening. The disciples were freaking out. They were like, whoa, what's happened? Jesus is dead, doomed, we're, we're doomed. It's over. It was good while it lasted, but now it's over, was basically what they were saying. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you that through Jesus' death, brought him to a place where he, was in, he received the keys to the kingdom back again, and he has empowered us so that we can walk anew. But this Saturday, don't be sad. Understand your authority. Understand your authority. Ah, we have more than the... Yeah, we have the victory. You know, we need to stand in the authority we have. In actual fact, let's stand up. 
plenty more I was going to say, but I just feel to pause this moment. We just ask that you would give us a fresh confidence in what you've done. Lord, that you have defeated the enemy. Lord, you have disarmed him. Lord, you led forth captives. See, what happened, church, was the things changed. See, before the cross, this is the way I understand it, theologically wise, there was a place called Abraham's bosom where those who died in Christ waited for Jesus to come and lead forth the captives for those who had died before us. The way I see it happens now, and this is my understanding of it, and this is the thing I love about theology, is I don't really know. I've got an idea. And sometimes people say to me, what's your theology on this? Well, I have an idea. I don't know whether it's 100% right or whether it's 100% wrong. And I reckon we're going to get a shock when we go to heaven because we'll probably get there and God will say, remember how you had that theology about this? Well, it's actually more like this. And so I think the most important for us as believers is not to become dogmatic theologians, but to become theologians that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we're all theologians. I had someone once say to me, and it was meant to be an insult, you're not a theologian. I said, well, <laughs> we're all theologians. Because the- theology is just knowledge of God. Even the atheist is a theologian. They think they have a knowledge of God, and their knowledge is that he doesn't exist. And so really, they're still theologians, and they're still preaching. It's just different. And so at the cross, things changed. When Jesus died, the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. And what that was, was it was the doing away with an old system and bringing in a new system. And so what he did was he led forth the captives, those who were waiting for him to come and take the keys of death and hell. And he led forth the captives. And the Bible, it's a fascinating scripture where the Bible talks about them, you know, number of believers who had died before actually walked around for 40 days in Jerusalem and people recognized them. Fascinating scripture. Imagine that. Uncle Bob. What are you doing here? You died 30 years ago. Oh, Jesus just led me forth. <laughs> you know, what, what, it does my mind in. Where it's like, you know, and, and so what happens now, I believe, is when a believer dies, they just basically go straight to heaven. There's no waiting. There's no waiting place anymore. Can't wait for that day. Walk through those pearly gates. You know what I'm looking most forward to on the day I see him face to face is that I won't have the veil of flesh. I won't have the veil of misunderstanding anymore, but I'll see him in his glory. I'll see him in his glory. I'm looking forward to that day. And so Jesus, even though nothing was happening on the surface, the disciples were in deep depression. Jesus is down doing a work. And this is the word I have for you tonight. And I probably could have just given you this word and just moved on and we all gone home. But I felt I needed to lay a foundation for what I was saying. But it's this, even in your darkest times, Jesus is still working. Even in those times when it looks like nothing's happening, you know, even in those times when it looks like nothing's happening, you know what, he's still underneath and he's still working. So he's still bringing victory underneath. God, I, I just want to pause right now and just say thank you that it doesn't matter how dark the day may seem. Lord, you're always bringing victory underneath. And Lord, when we stay the course, Lord, when we stay the course, Lord, we know that Sunday's coming. Lord, but we understand that there's a work in Saturday. Lord, we understand that there's a work that you need to do, Lord, in the Saturdays of our life where it's like, oh, come on, this is no, not right. I feel depressed. I feel this. I feel let down. I I feel like I've failed 
Even as Peter felt like he failed, it wasn't until after Jesus had risen again and he met him later that he actually brought a restoration to him. And not only did he bring a restoration to him, he re-empowered him to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then shortly after that, he's leading meetings where three, five and more thousand people are coming to receive Jesus Christ. The great denier became the great preacher. And so we need to understand that even in our darkest hours, he's still working underneath. Lord, so we commit ourselves not to doubt in those hours, Lord, but to stay in relationship with you. Because if only, church, listen to this, if only the disciples would have stayed in the relationship that Jesus had built. We read it there. He said to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise again. But they forgot all that in the darkest hour. They forgot that in the darkest hour. But Jesus didn't forget. Those promises that have been spoken over your life that you believe that he's forgotten, he hasn't forgotten. And if he hasn't forgotten, how dare you forget? Well, we breathe life into those promises. Well, we understand there's a part we have to play. It's not all your part. Lord, there's a part we have to play as well. We acknowledge that, God, and we pray that you give us the strength, Lord, to be able to play the part we need to play. Lord, so this Easter Saturday, we are glad that there is a work going on that we have no understanding about. Lord, but we will see the fruit of it. Lord, we will see the fruit of it. Because just as Friday happens, Sunday's coming. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.